0: Watch, watch, Again to BadQuaker.com Podcast. My name is Ben Stone. Today is Monday, July 2nd, 2012. I'm back at home at my studio. So you may notice the sound is quite different quite different from what you've been hearing for the last uh, couple weeks. And, well, I shouldn't really say couple of weeks. There was, uh, there was like two weeks that there were no podcasts at all. That was the week in preparation for Porkfest and then the actual week that I went to Porkfest. And then there was some spotty, um, you know, uh, <laughs> coverage, uh, in the week after Porkfest, uh, I, I put out, Two uh, short interviews, you know, 30-minute interviews with the author Boston Tea Party, and I put out a short interview with Stefan Molyneux. And then I finally, Friday, uh, did an actual podcast, an hour-long podcast, which was really, it was uh, two half-hour podcasts sewn together, one from before, uh, w- one from when I was on my way to Porkfest, and one from when I was on my way home. So, this will be the first real podcast that I've done for what, three weeks, I think? Uh, yeah, probably, probably three weeks. So, uh, uh if you're new to the podcast, and we do have a lot of new listeners, we've had, in the last month, we've had a, a fairly significant, uh, jump in our listenership. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where it's all coming from. I know that, the uh the german um site podcast de we're getting a lot of downloads from there and uh we're having a lot more podcast downloads uh, from europe in general so i'm assuming it's coming from there and then there's also you know uh, uh there was a, a cons- consistently a boost that was taking place uh, a couple weeks ago when i was doing podcasts uh <laughs> involving what was happening with Rand Paul and his, uh, an announced support of, uh, Mitt Romney. And the fact that I had predicted that like a year ago and, and re-predicted it over and over. And then like days before he actually announced it, I had gone through and talked about, uh, the great man theory and, uh, you know, what's wrong with the great man theory. And, uh, and if you're not familiar with that, I, I'm not going to do a big thing on it. You can go back and listen to that podcast from three weeks ago, but uh, or maybe that was four weeks ago. But anyway, um, this idea that uh, uh, you know leaders, uh, special leaders, pop into history at specific times to do magic things um, is really not supported by any kind of facts. It's it's pushed by the state a lot because the state wants you to have. These heroes, uh, his hero worship is very much a, a requirement to true statism. So the state really wants us to believe that, that these heroes just appear out of nowhere and, and take, you know, take humanity into the next phase or whatever. When in reality, that's just not the case. What happens is there is a market for a leader. And, and just like if there's a market for anything, uh, that, that void in the market is filled by humanity. It's not the other way around. It's not that the, that the magic leader pops in and makes, you know, and uh, let's get more specific. Let's, I'm talking specifically about Ron Paul. I hear it all the time that Ron Paul has done more to help the liberty movement than blah, 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 blah. Or all this that we're seeing, all the growth that we're seeing in the liberty movement is all because Ron Paul, blah, 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 blah. And, and what you're doing is you're falling into the trap that the state has set for you. Ron Paul has not done these things. A collection of, you know, m- literally millions of, of liberty activists working for hundreds of years have gotten us to where we are. And if anything, the oppression of government, uh, as it, as it really expanded after, specifically after 2001 and after 9-11 and everything, and everything that happened there, um, the the explosion of oppression that came from governments around the world in the last twelve years or so, has created a market for liberty. It's it's opened people's eyes that used to be conservatives and used to be liberals, and they used to believe the lies of the state, and now they see that all of this stuff from the state is that it's just lies. And as they see those things, sure, Ron Paul is a leader, and he's right there where everybody can see him, and he made predictions that this was going to happen and things like this. But if it wasn't for Ron Paul, you know, there was there was any number of other people saying the same thing. Um, that, that are not being accredited with magically bringing in all these people into liberty. And so, if there was no Ron Paul, certainly, you know, uh, he's added to the, the liberty movement, just like each and every one of the, the, of those millions have in the last couple hundred years. But if there was no Ron Paul, the explosion in the liberty movement that we have seen in the last ten years, would have happened either way because there was a market for it. People were opening their eyes. And we don't need to focus on one central leader like that. What we, what we have to keep our eyes on is that as the state grows and expands and develops in its power, we need to be there to oppose that. We don't need a leader to do that for us and and this should be vividly obvious to people in the liberty movement but for some reason we we have this embedded in our minds from childhood that we have to have a leader we have to have a leader and and you know this is pushed on us uh in every possible way from the state but the fact is you just don't have to have a leader and a lot of people in the liberty movement will say well you know as long as the leader is not uh, um there by aggression, then it 's perfectly fine to have a leader yes, it is that 's true it 's perfectly fine to have a leader and and leaders are important in any to to accomplish anything that needs to be done. Uh, natural leaders always uh you know appear and and they have jobs to do uh, and and that doesn't that doesn 't negate um anarchy in any way. You can have leaders, natural voluntary leaders in an anarchial society or in an anarchial group of any kind families have natural leaders sometimes it's male sometimes it's female uh any particular group that gets together natural leaders pop up among them but my point is that that we in the liberty movement need to not focus our eyes on the leader we need to realize that the that the leader is doing a job just like the just like everybody else is doing a job and if the leader vanished tomorrow then we can still move on and another leader will just step into that position. And that's how that's how a movement um, survives time and, and goes on to actually do something productive instead of just vanishing or completely being perverted once that leader goes away or changes or, or whatever. So this is really important that we get this in our mind and that we not be taken by this man, Ron Paul, by either his successes or his shortcomings – by the by, you know, a lot of people right after Rand announced his uh, idiotic uh, uh, support of of um, Mitt Romney, when that happened, a lot of people pointed out the failure of the Ron Paul campaign and specifically the people within the Ron Paul campaign. But but again, you're seeing the wrong thing. You, you're looking for the great man it, rather than allowing the market to uh to move on and, and produce whatever it is that the market is going to produce for us. Anyway, I wasn't really going to go into that. Like I said, if if you want to hear more on that topic, uh, I did a whole pod I did a couple podcasts on the great man theory and and why it's important to not get caught up in that and why and why it is that it's the market um will provide for these things. We don't have to wait in anticipation of a hero. We don't have to have a great man to pop up to save the day or whatever. Um, the market provides everything that there's a need for. So anyway, so if you want more on that one, go back about a month and pick up those uh, podcasts that I did on the great man theory. And uh, I think I talked about Herbert Spencer and a bunch of stuff in that. Today, though, uh, what I really want to get to is I want to, like I was saying, we, we do have a lot of new listeners. So I want to get to some of the real basic things that this podcast is about so that there's no confusion and so that you know exactly what it is that you're listening to here. Um, f- at badquaker.com, all of us at the, on the staff here, um, it's our goal to promote the three basics that really stand out as what it means to be libertarian and, and, and how a future can be successful. And that is the zero aggression principle, property rights, and liberty. Now, when you think of these three things, zero aggression principle, property rights, and liberty, I, I've had people say to me, well, isn't that kind of redundant? E- yes, it absolutely is. You, you cannot have liberty. Now listen to this part. You cannot have liberty unless you have a respect for property rights. And unless your property rights are respected. And the only way to respect property rights and the only way to have your property rights respected is through the zero aggression principle. And what is the zero aggression principle? The zero aggression principle is, in its core, the respect of property rights. Both, uh, in, in both directions. Respecting other people's property rights and them in re- respecting your property rights. And what condition does that produce? When you have the zero aggression principle and you respect property rights in both directions, what condition does that produce? Liberty. So then these three things are inseparable. They One cannot be taken without the other two. You can't have mostly property rights and still have liberty. You can't have mostly the zero aggression principle and still respect property rights or have liberty. You can't have liberty if there is aggression that's taking place you can't have liberty if property rights are not respected the the three things are really one thing and that and that has to be the driving force of libertarianism and, and if you're looking at libertarianism through any other set of glasses then you're inconsistent in your philosophy and your whole argument can be taken apart at some point at some point everything that you uh, believe to be libertarianism will fall apart uh with enough scrutiny if it's not based on these three things on this on this one thing that is three things it's almost a if i can say this without offending theists it's a it's a, it's a trinity relationship between zero aggression principle property rights and liberty now let's talk about property rights when I'm talking about property rights, you know, I I say this all the time, there's no such thing as gun rights, there's only property rights. And and this is such a simple concept but it confuses people all the time. But you have to understand it it's not a matter of what you own. It's a matter of whether you own it or not. And it doesn't matter if it's a gun or a, a you know, a bubblegum wrapper. If it's your property, no one has the right to take it from you, regulate how you use it, um, tax you for it. As long as you're not aggressing on anyone else with that property, or as long as you're not aggressing on anyone else, period, then no one has the right to your property. And your property includes, of course, first yourself. If you don't own yourself, how can you own anything else? And how can anyone else own you and you own yourself at the same time and if other people own you and you don't own yourself well obviously that's slavery but also the the, the logic in this kind of a relationship falls apart um, if you don't own yourself then and if someone else owns you this is this is an unnatural situation that any animal would find itself in you become the possession of of another entity and um Therefore, what right do you have to feed yourself? what right do you have to uh, you know if you follow the thing through in logic, all other rights fall apart if you don 't have the right to own yourself and if and again, if you don 't have the right to own yourself, how can you own anything else and if you don 't own anything, then you have some kind of a weird uh you know communist utopia where everybody owns everything, and the problem with that is you don't even have to go into the, to the economic side of it as, as Mises did to show that any kind of, uh, socialist situation like that, society will very, very quickly deteriorate and fall apart because there, because there's no price mechanism in, in the marketplace. Um, everything essentially loses its value. If, if nobody owns anything and everybody owns everything, then everything loses its value and there's no way, uh, within the economy of society for, for, uh, for trade to take place because nobody really knows what the value of anything is. So all these things are related together within the idea of property rights. I, I probably said it kind of confusing there because I really wasn't thinking about going into, into property in that depth. So I didn't really think through what I was talking about, but, but you get the idea that Um, all property is based on the, on the, the core concept that you own yourself. And if you don't own yourself, then the whole rest of the theory falls apart and you don't have any rights to own anything at all. And you know, Rothbard did a whole thing on, um, uh, he He looked at the the various ways that you could look at this, like um, does a person equally own a part of himself along with everyone else in the world who equally owns a part of himself? Well, then you could never decide to do anything because you'd you would be aggressing on someone else who owns part of you so um so the only way the only logical way that this can all work out is if you own yourself and each other individual owns themselves now that doesn 't mean that people are always going to respect that uh that right of property that just means that it's right it's what is good it is what it is uh the the natural condition of humankind is to be like that and then there are things that interrupt that there are things that interrupt property rights things like thieves um of course a thief is not respecting your property right a thief is aggressing upon you by, um, by stealing or taking whatever, in whatever manner that they're aggressing on your property, uh, or on yourself, you know, and what is the state? Well, of course, the state is just an organized gang of thieves. So as you carry these three thing, these things through to their logical end, as you work them through in your mind, you realize that you cannot have liberty, you cannot be free, unless you own yourself. If you own yourself, you have the right to property. And if you aggress on other people, then you're not respecting their property. And if they're aggressing on you, then they're not respecting your property. And so, as we we look at these three things, the zero aggression principle, property rights, and liberty, we begin to understand the trinity of the relationship between these things, and we begin to understand that they cannot be separated. You cannot have one without the others and you cannot you cannot be mostly mostly property uh have mostly property rights and still have liberty you can't be allowed to own yourself and you can and you can own, you know, a bubblegum wrapper but you can't own a hammer um if that's the case then you don't really own anything if someone has the power over you to tell you you know uh, what what of your property you can own and what you can't assuming you've come by it you know legitimately through the through honoring the zero aggression principle through proper homesteading or through work relationships you've you've uh, traded for it or you've worked for it or you've made it yourself or whatever however you obtain this property If someone can come and take it from you, then really you don't have any property rights at all. It doesn't matter what the property is. The property could be a gun. The property could be a $1 bill. The property could be a bubblegum wrapper. If someone else has the right to come and take it from you, then really you don't have any property rights. But if they take it from you out of aggression, you still have property rights. They've just aggressed upon you. And again, we're back to the state. So when you work and you exert your labor, and you uh, trade, or any of the other homesteading, any of the other ways that you uh, obtain property, if someone can rightfully come and take it away from you, you never owned it to begin with. And we can take that out to to other logical things, uh, you know, besides besides guns and bubblegum wrappers. You can say, uh, on my land, I, I worked, I earned money, I traded my money for uh, a deed to land, I bought this land. But do you really own it? Um, If you own the land, let's say you got a loan on it, because most people can't buy land just you know with cash these days. But let's say you took out a loan on it, and you continue to work, and you paid off all the money that you borrowed on that land. Do you still own it? Well, if you live in North America, you probably don't still own it. You probably never owned it to begin with. Because technically, all property now belongs to the state in North America once one government or another it doesn't matter which one they're pretty much all the same anyway but uh, all real estate by you know by the aggression of government uh the governments of North America believe that they own all property and that can be very clearly demonstrated if you just refuse to pay your property tax or if you decide to do something on your land that the government doesn't approve of you decide to grow a plant on your land that uh, that the government doesn't approve of. They can take your land. They just come right out and take it. Uh, you decide not to pay a continuing tax upon your land because you've already paid for it, you own it. Why Why would you pay a tax on something you already own? Well, if you fail to do that, they'll just come take it because the state is not here in any way to support property rights. The state, by its very existence... Denies property rights. The state is the exact opposite of the zero aggression principle. The state and the belief in the state, the thing, that which makes the state legitimate, the belief in the state is the acceptance that you don't own any property. You are a slave of the state and everything that you think that you own is actually owned by the state. That's part of the myth of the state. And you don't have to you don't have to think about this very much before you realize this is a very unnatural situation humans could not develop in nature with without a respect for individual property and without uh, you know without without the without the 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 natural understanding of zero aggression humans could never have developed over the ages we could never have developed society society is based on the fact that most people that you encounter uh, in in almost all settings, most people you encounter are people you know, or at least that you're going to, either that you know or, um, or you have a common bond with them one way or the other. So, for example, uh, pretty much everybody you do business with is normally, under most circumstances, going to be people that you do business with regularly. Most people that you encounter over the course of a day are people that you wouldn't encounter over any particular course of, of any particular day. So in, in most settings, and this changes somewhat if you're like in a really big city where there are a lot of people, but even there, everybody has a common bond in the fact that they're all living in the same city. So, so you're still, um, within a group that you're going to have contact with on a regular basis. Now, the only way that society itself can function, the only way that we can all work together and, and, you know, spread the load of living, uh, out among all of us, the only way that all these things work is through mutual cooperation. And mutual cooperation is the natural function of humans. We tend to want to get along with each other. We tend to want to, to want other people to respect our property and our lives and not aggress against us. And in return, return we naturally tend to want to respect them. And, and we naturally tend to want to not aggress upon other people. This is not some, you know, weird, fanciful th- theory that's out there that if we could only get to being like this, if we could only change human be, natural behavior and become like, like that. No. This is the natural this is how we developed over eons of time, or if you prefer, it's how you were created. You were created exactly to follow this the zero aggression principle, recognizing property rights and be in a state of liberty. That's how you were created. And I don't care if you believe that your creation took place through random you know random collisions of of, of atoms and molecules and particles and if you believe that, then that's still uh the na- the natural uh, order of how humans have developed and if you believe that you were special created by an intelligent being well then the odds are that being unless that being is a pretty twisted evil monster um then you were created specifically to follow the zero aggression principle respect property rights and be in a state of liberty and the thing that has interrupted that for this short wink of time in history is the state. Nothing else successfully interrupts this, this triangular association of zero aggression, property, and liberty. Nothing else successfully interrupts that. Sure, a, a thief may come and, and interrupt it temporarily, but there are ways to deal with thieves. A neighbor may occasionally, you know, there may be an aggression somehow that's inadvertent or or through, you know, uh, through them wanting something that it basically puts them in the condition of, of being a thief. These things may take place on a limited basis, but, but they cannot take place long term successfully without the structure, uh, without the myth structure of the state to support them. That, that myth and believing that somehow there's a, there's a, a, separate group in society who can break these natural rules and who can make up their own laws and can do their own thing and can take from us at their will. Th- that belief that, that there are people like that in society. That is the only successful, um, uh, challenge to this three-part uh, thing that i 'm talking about liberty, zero aggression, and property rights. the state is the only thing that has successfully challenged that and the and the problem with that is that the state by its very nature is self destructive I have talked about this quite a few times um, because the economic rules that apply to everything in in mankind 's existence uh, if if you think about the state and if you think about the concept that that justifies the state and you think of what results from that is governments and governments tend to be corrupted and governments tend to u- to use things like corporations and and control of uh, of the markets and control of money and so forth to try to prop themselves up but all these things have this same central flaw built into them that they're against what we every single human being recognizes deep in their soul as being natural rights so, because the existence of the state is contrary to the system we were designed for, whether you believe that happened through evolution or special creation, it's not the point. The, the state exists through deviating from those natural lo- laws. Well, you know, I, I talk about all the time um, examples of other animals uh, and, and how there are specific natural laws that apply to specific animals. So, for instance, the, um, uh, the wrens that I, that I watch around my house and I feed, um, they have within their natural laws and within their natural rights, um, the death penalty, uh, or ca- or, you know, capital, uh, 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 capital punishment is common among these wrens. And when one wren, and this is the same with sparrows as well, when one sparrow, uh, violates the the rules of the flock of sparrows, the other sparrows will fall on him and kill him in mass. They will just really quickly fall on that sparrow and kill it. So it's a natural it's part of the natural law so capital punishment is a natural law for sparrows. That's not the case with blue jays. Blue jays never that I have ever observed have multiple blue jays. Uh, ganged up on one blue jay and killed it. I've never seen that ever happen once. Same way with squirrels. Now we have uh, the large gray squirrels here where I live. When I was in New Hampshire at Porkfest, I was watching these crazy little red squirrels that move at about three times the speed and have totally different uh, social structure. So it was really interesting watching them. But the gray squirrels that I'm exposed to here in Ohio have a very complex society and one thing that does not exist in that complex society is capital punishment. The squirrels never, never gang up and 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 kill a single squirrel because it's against their natural laws. So each species like this has a certain natural laws that are built into its species, and they know these things without being taught them and without being told them. I talk regularly. Regularly, I talk about how a butterfly, uh, once it makes its manifest, its its. Uh, Its transformation and becomes a butterfly, it knows how to leave the jungles of Mexico, fly to the plains of Canada, and then fly back to to the very same tree in Mexico that it came from. Now, that's a natural thing that occurs in the butterfly's brain. It's not learned behavior. I talk about that pretty regularly. And humans are the same way. Humans have uh, understanding of natural rights, natural law built right into it. It's, It's hardwired into us so when we see the the manifestations of the state which are government corporations manipulation of the banking industry manipulations of the market and in, in all these different ways when we see these things when we see judges who who are corrupt and judges that that you know just arbitrarily do things that we know are not right when we see these things no one has to tell us look that's wrong when we see politicians, uh, you know, lining their pockets and getting rich just by the very fact that they're a politician. When we see a big company like Monsanto with, uh, actual Monsanto employees exchanging positions in the very departments of government that regulate the same company. When we see these things, nobody has to tell us this is wrong. It's built inside of our brains. We know it's wrong. But the trick is with the government, with well, with this myth of the state, but specifically with the government and the mainstream media is part of this whole mess, there's a constant attempt to fog our minds and tell us, no, it's okay, no, it's all right, there's a constitution, everything's fine, you don't have to worry about it, the government's limited, there's a constitution, the judges will make the right decision. They always do. Oh, even if there's a bad decision for a while, it'll get fixed. Or what we need to do is shrink government, get it back to its roots. There are all these lies that the that the government itself, through its schools, through the media, through all these channels, they're constantly washing through your brain, trying to control your thoughts. But deep down inside, you know it's not right. You don't have to teach these things to the butterfly to get him to know how to go to, to Canada and back. And you don't have to teach these things to humans. It's in there already. What you have to do is wash away, is push away all the brainwashing that the, that the person gets from the state and allow them to start remembering that which is already deep in their mind. And then, and, you know, and we don't need a leader for that. We don't need, uh, we don't need really all we need is us sharing this inform- information with more and more people, and then us acting in, in cooperation with the zero aggression principle with property rights and living out liberty. And as we do those things, we reach out to other people. It's not necessary to change the government. As a matter of fact, that's counterproductive. I've talked about that before. Okay, I need a break uh, for a commercial here, and I'll get right back, and we'll pick back up on this. How would you like to support BadQuaker.com and get something nice for yourself at the same time? I want to tell you about Survival Gear Bags. It's run by my friend Kelly who believes in and adheres to the non-aggression principle. Kelly's customers know him for his great customer service and his personal touch because Kelly handles all customer service himself. The main focus of Survival Gear Bags is to allow you to build your own custom emergency kits with quality gear. Now, I know this because I bought my bug-out bag from Survival Gear Bags over two years ago, and I've gone all over the country with it by my side. And you can rest assured that the prices will always be the best they can be at Survival Gear Bags. And if you use the link from badquaker.com, they'll probably throw in something for free for you with your order. Now, how do you do this? Well, it's simple. You go to badquaker.com, on the right side of the page, click on the picture of the backpack. Then look around at Survival Gear Bags and find the stuff you want. You'll help BadQuaker.com, and you'll support a merchant that's one of us. Now, I want to tell you about another way you can support BadQuaker.com and get something really cool at the same time, Shire Silver. Shire Silver is the proud seller of silver and gold trade cards. Shire Silver believes that silver and gold trade cards will show the world a better way to save, spend, and share precious metals. So what are silver and gold trade cards? There are specific weights of gold and silver laminated inside credit card-sized tradable cards. They're a handy and affordable way to trade precious metals. These cards received nationwide recognition when they were widely used as barter at the New Hampshire Porcupine Festival. You want a beer and a hot dog? Hand them a Shire Silver 5 card and get a Shire Silver 1 spot back as change. So again, what do you do? Well, you go to badquaker.com. On the right side, just below the backpack, you'll see the Shire Silver trade cards. Click on those cards, and then check out Shire Silver's site. Be sure and watch Ron's video that's right there on the main page, and then swap some of those ridiculous Federal Reserve notes for something of real value, something you can keep, trade, or give as the coolest gift ever. But be sure and use the link from badquaker.com. Thanks, folks. Okay, thanks for sticking with me through the commercial there. Um so in the first half of the podcast our topic was getting back to the basics, the zero aggression principle, property rights, and liberty, and how those three things are interconnected and we can't have one while well violating one of the others. They they are inseparable between them. Uh now in the second half of the podcast here, I want to talk about a couple of things. One of the aspects of badquaker.com that I've covered a couple times in a couple different podcasts, and so I'm not going to make a big emphasis on it here and now, I'm just going to throw out the concept, I'm not going to put a lot of uh, supporting documentation with it, and I would encourage you, if you're interested in this, get get over to badquaker.com and search around and you can find, uh, you know, the podcasts on this topic, but... Uh, one of the things that I think that we bring to the table at badquaker.com that I'm not seeing, uh, out there in the rest of the, uh, of the podcasting world is this, this idea that, you know, okay, let me look at it. Let, let me do, present it this way. What is sin? Well, some people say there's no such thing as sin. Well, yeah, and then you punch somebody in the nose and they might have a different opinion about that. After all, you just sinned against them, didn't you? I mean, do we have to wrap up theology into the word sin? I I was told all my life that sin is that which displeases God. Well, okay, but who is God? Where is God? Where's his list of what sins are? Well, then they start breaking out the Ten Commandments or whatever. But I think after really really going over this and thinking about it the conclusion i came to is that sin is this simple right here what i'm about to say sin is when one human being decides for himself that he can make up for himself what is law when when one human decides that that he can say something and it's law, then he places himself as the lawgiver. In, in a theological situation, what he has done is he has made himself God. Okay, so if, you, if you're looking at it from a theology point of view, for a human being to say, I'm going to make a law, then that human being is placing themselves as the lawgiver. And from a theological point of view, that is God. So a human being making themselves into God is a sin in a theological point of view. From a non-theological point of view, if an individual is deciding that he can make up a law and he can impose that law on other human beings, then what you're looking at is aggression. You have a person deciding that, that their will... Their desires are more important than other people's and so they are imposing their will and their desires on other people. So um though the, the practical outworking of that would be aggression. So then whether we're looking at it from a from a theological point of view or whether we're looking at it from a uh atheistic or non theological point of view, when a when a human being decides for themselves that they are the law maker, that they can, that they are the source of law, then they are putting upon themselves more, uh, more power and more glory than a human being should have. And that's detrimental to the species and it's also detrimental to that individual. So then if, if ten individuals get together and they say among us ten individuals, we're gonna, we're gonna have this election and, and this one person over here or these three people over here are gonna decide the laws. Well that, the, the numbers don't change the morality. It doesn't matter if you have one person deciding that they're the lawgiver or if you have ten people deciding that three people are the lawgiver or if you have ten million people deciding that six hundred people are the lawgivers. It doesn't, the, the numbers don't change the morality. If human beings can make up law, Then you're putting human beings in the position of God. Even if you don't believe in God, even if you're a staunch atheist, if you put a human being in the position, or multiple human beings, in the position of lawgiver, you've created a God. And that's exactly what the state is. The state is the belief that some people can be lawgivers. And then following, then the, then the, then the following of, of the, of the will of those people. That's what the state is. So the state is an unnatural condition. And the state is an ungodly condition. Actually, it's not ungodly. The state becomes God. The state, when the atheist says he doesn't believe in God and then he goes and votes, he just disproved, he just disproved himself through his own actions. You do believe in the God. You just voted. Therefore, the state is your God. And when the Christian or the Muslim or the Jew says there is no God but, you know, my God, and then you go vote. You just involved yourself in the political process, acknowledging that the government—you know, the, the, the this imaginary state that we that we're supposed to believe in—you're acknowledging that the authority that the government has is real. Therefore, you might say Allah is your God, or you might say uh, Jehovah is your God, or you might say these things. It doesn't matter. Your actions show that you really believe there is a God, and that God is the state. So what is sin? Well, it's my opinion, and it's what I've put forth on several podcasts right here right here at badquaker.com, that sin itself is that belief that some human beings can make law and impose their law on other human beings. So, so what are we supposed to be lawless? We're just running around killing each other any time we want. Um, re-listen to the beginning of the podcast. Uh, you know that 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 just irritates me to no end when when going through all of these things about the zero aggression principle and property rights, and t- and then you say, okay, so the belief in the state is really um, the belief in the state as God, as lawgiver. And then the person immediately leaps backwards like you like you never said any of the first part. And they're like, and they're and they're you know, well, you just want everybody to run around killing each other and stealing from everybody. They'll just break down your door. No, go back and listen to the first part. the The absence of of state is not the presence of wild crazy animals eating each other. Society tends to cooperate. People tend to know the people around them, and and the very fact that we regularly interact with the same group of people on a repeated basis means that we tend to want to get along with them and respect their property rights and expect them to respect our property rights. And when there's a violation of this, if it's done on an individual level, individuals are not hard to deal with. Individual thieves are are not hard to deal with. Individual lawbreakers are not hard to deal with. But when you, but when you institutionalize thievery, which is what the state is, when you institutionalize theft on, on a grand level, like the government, then you can't deal with it. You can't stop it. You can't control it. It's, it's far beyond control. Writing letters, uh, forcing politicians to swear oaths. All these things have been tried and none of them work. Uh, You know, well, we have the Constitution. The Constitution will keep the government in check. When? When did it do that? Oh, well, think of the Founding Fathers, the Founding Fathers. No. You think about Washington. You think about Jefferson. You think about these guys, and you think they were somehow different from us? Well, okay, let's go back and and look at the Great Man Theory again. Those so-called Founding Fathers, many of them had the same kind of political desires as the Barack Obamas and the Mitt Romneys and the George W. Bushs and the Bill Clintons have today they're the same scum George Washington I could you know i've done podcasts before on George Washington and how he immediately oh, well, first off, how he used his influence to fill the pockets of bankers by the uh, by throwing out the Articles of Confederation and getting the Constitution. Uh, drafted, and then in addition to that, as soon as he actually came to power as president, the first thing he wants to do is violate the Constitution with the uh, with the whiskey uh, tax, the whiskey tax that he controlled uh, how 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 it was uh, you know how it was metered out, and he was the largest whiskey producer at the time, and how the whiskey tax itself was actually an income tax for about half the population at that time, and yet. An income tax was against the Constitution, and Washington pushed it anyway. And Washington then used a trick. I've gone through all this in other podcasts, but Washington used a trick, an emergency, a military emergency that he created. He sent his troops into almost certain death in uh, um, uh in the old northwest which actually was uh, the, you know the the battle of wabash and uh, there's been a couple of battles of wabash but anyway without going into the whole thing washington sent troops into almost certain death causing the worst casualty rate of any battle that the U- US military has ever engaged in and then he used that as an excuse to muster an army so that supposedly he could go take care of the indian problem uh in the ohio and and indiana area but then he didn't do that he took that same army and marched them on tax protesters in pennsylvania so this is washington violating the constitution filling his own pockets and using government to make himself more powerful and that's what we had in the very first administration of you know under the constitution so so i don't even want to hear about oh well if we could just get back to the constitution well it didn't work the first administration didn't work in the first 4 years of its life how how can why would we logically think that it would be otherwise now? Okay, so I kind of went off topic there a little bit, but uh, but you kind of get if you're new to the podcast, if you've been, if you've uh, picked up the podcast due to the Ron Paul Rand Paul thing, or if you've uh, picked up the podcast due to exposure from Pork Fest, uh, you might want to realize that this is the kind of mad ramblings that you're going to hear on this podcast. I I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I, I did a, uh, a podcast on that not long ago. That may have been what has brought in some of the new listeners. Although I do believe that there are some serious things going on in government, and I, and there have been conspiracies in the past, and I'm sure there are probably conspiracies going on right now. But I believe, you know, I was reading, um, I think it was called uh, something like the skeptical skeptical libertarian or the skeptical anarchist or something like that and they they were making an excellent point that uh we have to you can't just accept uh every conspiracy theory that comes along you have to weigh it out and see if there's really something there and not just wildly go accepting that you know that there's a small group of people running everything everywhere uh because it disc- it not only not only does it discredit our movement uh to just blindly accept these crazy rantings of you know of some of the people but it 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 brings harm into the liberty movement in the sense that uh we're believing something that we that we can't actually falsify and and we're not going by actual facts and the tendency to do that causes a person to wonder if if you'll you know if you'll accept things without actually seeing all the facts um, then then you're going to wander in the rest of your philosophy, you're going to wander uh, away from truth on other things as well. So you have to embrace the truth. Now that doesn't mean you reject all th- all conspiracy theories. What it means is you don't accept anything until it's proven. So we don't you know we don't necessarily accept the government's answer uh, on 9 eleven. But yet, we don't accept all the crazy theories either, because all the information is not here we can we can look at things and realize, hey, we're being lied to, we can see that, but you have to stay skeptical on these things and and keep looking at it you know through a skeptical eye and and don't uh, another- another thing I don't want to get all wrapped up on that one topic, but another thing that was pointed out in the same article that I was reading actually, I think it was in the comments to that article is that real skeptics, uh, real, uh, conspiracy theory, uh, followers tend not to be anarchists. They tend to believe that there's a small group of elite people controlling everything. Well, if there's a small elite group of people controlling everything, then they must be really, really brilliant and they probably should control everything. Um, because to control, to have, to, to manifest so much evil in the world through the use of, of the state, through all the different fingers of the state, through the media, through banking, through corporations, through governments, through the military military industrial complex, to be able to manipulate all those things to accomplish the evil that we see around us, uh, you would have to be, and to do that with a small committee of people, you would have to be a genius. And so if there are people that super genius, they probably ought to be our, our leaders, our rulers. But I don't think there are anybody that, there is, I don't think there is a group of elites that are that smart. I think there's a system of, of believing in the state. And because people believe in the state, a whole series of fallacies take place in their actions. And not one person or not two people or not a committee or not, you know, just the Rothschilds living in, in their chateau or whatever. But worldwide, as these uh, as the myth of the state is accepted it pollutes so many levels of thinking for so many millions and millions of people around the earth that each of their decisions are fouled it's impossible to make a correct um decision if you're already believing a myth uh, in the state that's not real and so so that flaw in your thinking and not just one person not just a million peop- people but millions and millions around the world who believe this myth of the state and therefore every single decision that they make is flawed by that by that uh by that myth then it creates a predictable series of failures in society and that's why we see things like uh, you know, some remote, some small remote town in the Midwest somewhere that decides that they're gonna outlaw, uh, kids selling, um, you know, lemonade at a lemonade stand. And at the same time, uh, we're, kill- the, the U.S. government is killing, um, uh, a U.S. citizen in, in a foreign country simply because his dad was a terrorist and the U.S. government killed his dad. And so they figure, well, he might grow up to be a terrorist too, so we better kill him too. These kinds of flaws in thinking come about through an entire society of people making bad decisions based on the myth of the state. And so let's rein it on back in and let's get back to our, to our original topic there again. So if we have the zero aggression principle and you understand it and you and you share it with other people and you promote that don't you know you don't have to promote conspiracy theories you don't have to you don't have to go and constantly show what's wrong with the government and constantly show how every aspect of the government brings about uh you know bad results from this and that if you get back to those basics and you start to just express the zero aggression principle and property rights and the desire for liberty. And these three things, the, the truth that's built into them will, um, you know, it's kind of like a magnetic attraction. When you, when you have that, that magnet and it's near, uh, the metal, you know, you can feel that draw. And that's the power of truth. Truth has that kind of power. When, when a person hears truth, it tends to draw them. And they may not completely understand truth. They may not completely understand that particular aspect of truth. But but deep within them, truth pulls on their heart, pulls on their mind. And so, so it's not necessary for us to absolutely go and find every aspect of the government and tear it down and beat it up. That, you know, that's as unnecessary as it is for us to have to explain, you know, well, without the government, this is how we'd make roads. Without the government, this is how we'd fight fires. Without the government, this is how we'd do this. This is how we'd do that. Rather than going through all of those things um, on the negative side or on the positive side without pointing out, yeah, well, government roads stink. Drive across country. Constant, constant, constant construction, vast amounts of wasted money, and the roads still stink. We're still paying on the roads from Eisenhower's projects, where the roads were set, where the loans were set up in a way that we will perpetually pay those loans and never pay off the roads that Eisenhower started in the 50s. The loans never get paid off. Why is that? Because they were never designed to be paid off. The whole purpose of the road program was not the lies that the government tells you about. Oh, yeah, well, it was because Eisenhower saw the, the, no, 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 no. It's a loan. Who profits from the loan? It's the bankers. The roads are not about transportation. The government didn't socialize roads in the 30s, I'm sorry, in the 20s so that it can pr- improve transportation. The government socialized the roads in the 20s because it desires to control everything. And, of course, in 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 the control of everything, which includes the banking industry, the banks are the ones that make money off of borrowing massive amounts of money and building interstate highways. So, you know, w- would there be interstate highways without the state? Who knows? Uh, There might be flying cars that we don't know. There's no way of knowing what the market would have provided. I've made the argument before that zeppelins probably would have been vastly popular, uh, you know, airships, uh, had it not been for the interference of the state. In the building of roads and the supporting of automobiles. Or maybe not zeppelins, maybe something else. You know? There's no way of knowing and you can't take your mind in that direction and explain every possibility that could have happened without the state. Or everything that's wrong because of the state. It's endless. You can, you get into a trap that, um, you know, that goes on forever. So it's easier just to get back to this basic stuff and say, look, Think about the zero aggression principle. Think about property rights. Think about how do you obtain liberty if you don't have property rights and if you don't have the zero aggression principle. How can you have liberty? How can you be free if you can't own property? How can you own property if some of that property can be taken from you by other people at their will? How can you be owning property if someone else can tell you what you can and can't do with that property, even when it affects no one else? How you see, getting back to thinking of these three basic things is central to the true spreading of, of what it is that we're talking about and what it is that we're trying to do and how we're trying to better society. It's not in having a leader to get elected and change government so that it's more, you know, more comfortable for us or or so that the master beats us less. None of these things are the core answer but appealing to that inner part of every human. You know, back to that butterfly. You can you can train the butterfly. You can put a cage around the butterfly. You can train the butterfly to behave in a particular way. I don't know if you really can train a butterfly or not, but but anything that you can do to overwhelm the butterfly's natural response to fly from Mexico to Canada, all that is noise to the butterfly. But if you remove all that noise, the butterfly will immediately begin to do what it is that he does. And that's the same way with humans. If you reach to them and you begin removing the noise and just stick with the principles that are so deep within them that they'll recognize them as true, they'll feel that magnetic pull as soon as it starts on their heart. And that's what the zero aggression principle in property rights and liberty does. And we don't need all the other things. All we have to do is stand for the truth. And the truth is a power that is beyond anything that the lies of the government can produce that truth will stand up even if we don't have a great leader that truth will stand up even if even if the speaker is flawed you're listening to my voice and and you know i stutter and i w- talk in circles and there are all kinds of flaws in in my ability to express my thoughts and yet you're listening to it anyway because deep down inside there's a truth that's connecting to you and you're saying you know for all his flaws, Ben has something here, and that something is those three principles. Uh, well, I shouldn't have said principles, but those three aspects of that one thing: the zero aggression principle, property rights, and the desire for liberty. That's that's the source of truth. And we don't have to be polished. We don't have to have a, a a solid argument for how would we do this and how would we do that. If you express truth, people will recognize it and they'll come to it. Folks, for more on Liberty, the Zero Aggression Principle and Property Rights, go to badquaker.com. And thank you very much for listening. And welcome to all the new listeners. I really appreciate you stopping by and listening to me. And if you like what you hear, be sure and listen some more and get over to badquaker.com and look around the website, maybe download some old stuff. Thanks a lot, folks. Goodbye.